Hello, this is Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. What's in a name? In feudal times, with the growth of the king's power, the noble captains found that their interests required them to spend more time in court. They hired officers to take their place in the field. These were called placeholders, or in the term derived from the French, lieutenants. If your name is Leon, its French derivation represents the lion, or someone who is lion-like. What's in a name? Plenty. Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Rizzi welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. On this program, we are featuring interesting excerpts from many programs, plus a nostalgic look at some of the funnier moments that happened on and off the air. And joining me on this show will be announcer, narrator, MC, Mr. Gene Baker. For as long as the golden days of radio has been on the air, we've had uh, an opening, uh, an announcer that says, Next, the golden days of radio. And he's with us in person today. Gene Baker, welcome to the golden days of radio. Well, thank you, Frank, for asking me. And my, that show got off to a good start, didn't it? <laughs> well, you always make it get off to a good start. Do the line. Will you it's, do the line? It's afterward. Uh, let me see. Uh, and next... The Golden Days of Radio. That's marvelous. Isn't that great? That really I don't know what to do shit. after that, but I get you <laughs> off to a good start anyway. Well, the theme comes in, and then we're on our own from then on. Gene, you've, you've been around in radio for a long, long time, many, many years. Oh, just approximately uh, 40-some-odd years, and the, there's a few odd ones there, but it's over 40 years since I started. You must have started as a child. I did. I was 16 years old, and I had just joined. I had gotten out of high school and joined a troupe of actors to go out and do a play called, incidentally, It Pays to Advertise. <laughs> and we've been out about four weeks to disastrous audiences. I mean, nobody came to see us. So we were about 45 miles from home, and we decided we'd go home to Mother and her cooking. But I wouldn't give up, so I took the, the play up to a radio station. There were two in town. And um, I said, would you like to have us do a play on your radio station? And the fellow said, well, how long does it take? And I said, well, I don't know. We've never timed it. It takes... Uh, Two hours, two hours and a half, I guess. He said, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm not having anything else to put on anyway. Why don't you come in Wednesday? So we went in Wednesday night, and we did the play for as long as it lasted. And as I was walking out of the studio, he said, young man, you have a nice voice. Would you like to be a radio announcer? And I said, what's that? And he said, well, there's one over there. And I said, the fellow in that glass thing? And he said, yes. And I said, the fellow sitting down? And he said, yes, and I said, I'll take the job. It's a job for me if it's well, a Well, sure, I figured if I had to go to work, I wanted to do something where I sat down, and I started off. Uh-huh. And there I was, and I, he said, come in, you are now a member of, this was very funny, he said, come in, you're a member of the staff, and come in and meet the rest of the crew tomorrow. So I came in at 9 o'clock, and it was then that I found that I was the staff. <laughs> <laughs> at big money. Yeah, like. oh, nineteen sixty-five a week. <laughs> and uh, I met the chief announcer, uh, he was the rest of, uh, he, he, told the staff what to do, which was me, and the first thing he told me was, I work from 12 noon till 4 in the afternoon, the rest of the shift is yours, seven days a week, and I'm not here on Saturdays and Sundays at all. <laughs> so that was my shift to Did start Did you feel with. like you were overpaid? I was never so happy in my life, and I'll tell you why, Frank, I think probably a great deal of it is gone now, but there was a, 
There was a feeling in those days that we had gotten a tiger by the tail and it was really going to be wonderful. We were going to accomplish something, you know? We were really going to do something. This was a great new communications media. And um, 40 years later, uh, I don't think we've accomplished an awful <laughs> lot, frankly. <laughs> but we're still trying. You, you were very well known as the announcer on a popular program. I think uh, one of the first... Uh, uh, programs on the air was Amos and Andy. Right. And uh, uh, shortly after that, there were two fellows from Pine Ridge, Arkansas. Oh, yes. They came, to, they came to Chicago, and somebody hired them. And uh, they came in, and you know, uh, this was Lum and Abner. And Tuffy Goff, who was Abner, told me at one time, when they came to Chicago <clears throat> to do the show, somebody had hired them from a very big company. NBC didn't hire them. The company hired them. And so they came to town, so they sent a man over from NBC, and the first thing he said, well, I'd like to have your scripts to clear for, uh, you know, continuity. And they each looked at each other, and one said, what's a script? They had never used a script before. And he said, well, you've got to have something on paper. You can't go on the air without us seeing what you're going to say. So for a weekend, they sat and tried to put it on paper. And they couldn't do it. No, but they finally got something on paper, and they did the first show, and everybody was very happy. In those days, you did a show and a repeat. So they went downstairs and had coffee, came back to do the repeat, and the man is standing there with the paper, and there isn't anything in the second show like the first show. <laughs> They'd gone on to do the second show without any script. Uh, well, you did that show. You were the announcer on I that show. I was the announcer for five years in, out here in Hollywood. In yeah. Hollywood. They did that at NBC. At right? NBC. Much to my, uh, uh, well, woe most of the time, because these were two of the world's greatest practical jokers. Uh -huh. They had done the show so many times they could do it asleep, they could do it awake, they could do it and not even be there. So the only thing that kept them alive was let's bedevil the announcer. Let's make it tough for him. Let's have fun with Baker. Well, you never sounded like that. I have a clip from one of the, one of the shows. I'd we'll play that it. right now, Al. That's our ring. Time for Lum and Abner. Now let's see what's going on down in Pine Ridge. Well, as we look in on the little community today, we find Grandpappy Spears in the Jotham Down store talking to Lum. Listen. You know, Lum, I believe this pigeon-toed nonsense twixt Ben and the Witter Abernathy's getting kind of serious. Well, I know it is. Long as Ben's got that money, the Witter ain't going to give up till she hooks him. I've tried to make Ben see that, but he won't listen to me. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You know, the awful thing was, the rings would go on, and then I would say, and now it's time for Lum and Abner, and then I would go Brought in... Brought to you by the makers yeah, by, of whatever. Whatever. <laughs> and I would go into the commercial... And I would be looking all over the studio because there would be no Lum and Abner in the studio. Now, we had a standby program in case they didn't show up, which was a program of organ music. And Ralph Waldo Emerson, God rest his soul, was then the organist, and he would be fumbling on the organ trying to get the standby <laughs> program ready. I would be stretching the commercial as long as I could, waiting for a door to open or something. And just as I finished the last word of the commercial, they'd both walk in. They'd been standing outside the door, waiting <laughs> till the very last minute, just to see what I'd do. They were devilish, weren't they? Oh, they were awful. And then, you know, they had a, they had a gag between them. They used to take, a, take off from the script. They would, they would, uh, somebody would get an idea. Lum would get an idea. And he'd go away on, a, on an ad-lib 
journey all by himself. Many times he got out there and couldn't get back. He didn't know how to get back into the script, and, and Abner would sit across the table and just shake his head and say no, because they had a rule. The fellow who left the script had to get back, and if he couldn't get back, we just ended the program wherever it went. <laughs> it was on his Wherever own. we were. You know, it didn't make any difference. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. They lit my script with, with matches. They poured water down my pants. They tied my shoelaces together. And one time I ended up doing a very serious commercial completely in the nude. <laughs> That wasn't an audience show. That was not an audience show, no, no, it was not an audience. It could have been a great one. (laughs) Well, commercials were pretty funny years ago. I guess uh, some of the uh, commercials you had on that program were funny. I have a commercial. Oh, you do? This is one of the first commercials that was ever on the radio. This was in 1932. Who was it for? This was for that famous company, Tasty Yeast. Oh, yes. (laughs) Listen to this (laughs) commercial. Tasty yeast is tempting to your appetite. Creamy, wholesome candy, try a luscious bite. Vitamins are hiding in this candy bar. Pep them and bigger, linger where they are. Children like this lovely, creamy food delight. Let them eat it daily, every morning, noon and night. You will see them growing stronger every day. Taking yeast is dandy, handy candy way. You, you probably wonder why Tasty Yeast is no longer on the market. Oh, I know this, but Jim Webb didn't write that one. Neither did Glenn Campbell, that's for sure. But we have the same thing, really, in, in, a, in an updated version now with all the singing commercials. Really? Well, I think so. I think we were probably a little bit more direct. We had one tempo, and we told the story. And you stuck to and it. And we stuck to it regardless of whether it was good or not. <laughs> well, I don't think the FCC was as strong then either. Now they make you prove all these claims. Oh, we didn't have to prove anything. I remember doing a series of commercials out of Chicago for a Dr. Mm-hmm's, uh, golden Medical Discovery or some such thing like that. And someplace along in the line, I had to say... It was also good for man or beast, saddle gall or collar burn. <laughs> and the, the, the drug people made us do that. So I was hired because I could throw that line away faster than anybody, and I would go on and tell about the benefits of the doctor's medicine, etc. and I would say, and it's good for man or beast, collar burn or collar burn, like this, <laughs> saddle gall or collar burn. And they never did understand what I said, but if you'd listen to the record, it was authentic. I had said it. You'd make it sound believable. Make it sound believable. Sell anything. Are all announcers that way? Yes, you can't trust us at all. You don't have to believe in your product at all. We'll sell anything for money. You told me a story once that was pretty funny. Now, the same, the same sponsor, the same seltzer company that sponsored Lemon Abner also sponsored Jim Hardy mm-hmm. uh, and his program. Right, the news program. The news program. And they used to drop a tablet into a glass of, uh, of hot water, and they'd say, listen to it fizz. It had to be hot. Yeah. That was the announcer's job, too. Yeah, we, you had to go out and heat the water, yeah. and, you know, that sort of thing. The thing to do was, of course, was to try to switch pots on the announcer so that the water would be ice cold and the tablet would just lay there. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd have to go to the microphone and go, and make it sizz, <laughs> which was a great idea. What was the most interesting thing that ever happened to you, the craziest thing that ever happened to you in radio? Not, not on Queen for a Day, but any other program. I, I was talking a to a group the other day, and I suddenly remembered something. It didn't happen to me, but I was in the studio at the time. It was on the old soap opera called Mary Marlin. And this was a great show. Uh, to brief you a little bit, Mary Marlin was a, a noble woman, a noble woman. Her husband, Joe, had been senator from Iowa, according to the story, and duly elected. 
But uh, Joe disappeared. And they naturally, the, the people in Iowa were a little perturbed. They couldn't <laughs> find their senator. And in Washington, they were looking around for him. But he had been sent on a secret mission by the Secret Service or something and couldn't tell anybody, so he just disappeared. So Mary, uh, without being elected or anything, I guess, just went down to Washington and said, my husband can't make it, so I'm going to be the senator from now on. And so she became the senator from Iowa. But about once every month and a half or two months, she would hear from Joe through nightmares. And uh, Joe would would call for her, and this would upset her for a couple of weeks on the show. She'd worry about where he was and what was happening, because she'd hear his voice. Well, we got this voice by hiring an actor by the name of Howard Hoffman, who stood about six foot five, had a face like Lincoln, and a voice like Orson Welles. And we used to take a grand piano and prop the lid up, put a microphone inside. Somebody would step on the loud pedal, and Howard every month and a half, would say, Mary, Mary, and then Mary would get very, and we'd have another week's show. Well, everything went fine until one day Howard, in the middle of the show, playing the part of Joe, got carried away and made a wide sweep with his arm and hit the prop that was holding up the lid on the grand piano. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't hear from Joe then for about three months until we got Howard out of the hospital with a severe concussion. <laughs> Oh, these things went on all the time. Those things happen a lot. Uh, happened a lot more on radio than they do on television. They can't afford it nowadays because uh, the sponsors spend so much more money on TV than. They well, you on radio. do. You know, in, in the old days of television, we were we didn't have the respect, I guess, for it that we have now. But the famous story that happened to another announcer friend of mine, Vinny Pelletier, uh, on one of uh, Ralph Edwards' shows. Uh, in which, uh, unbeknownst to him, they had substituted a solid iron can for a can he was supposed to put a can opener in and open, and he got on the on the on the television camera coast to coast and started to use the can opener, and he had a solid can of iron, and they just left him standing there. We thought it was a great joke. Now you can't joke anymore. It, uh, things are too expensive. You've got to be right the first time. But we had fun in television, too. We well, did wild had, things. You had a lot of fun on radio and television with one particular show I can think of. What's that? And we'll play it right now. It sounded something like this. Would you like to be queen for the day? Exposition in Winter Haven, Florida, Queen for Today, the Cinderella Show, starring Jack Bailey. Hey. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm just going to sit here and visit a while. I want to welcome all of you to what we must reluctantly refer to as our last show from Winter Haven for this week. Now, the Florida Citrus Commission has made this one of the most thoroughly enjoyable weeks that we have ever experienced in 19 years. 19 years. 19 years. I I don't know how many thousand times I said, and here's Jack Bailey. Well, now, you didn't start on Queen for a Day at the beginning. No, I came, over. In, I came in late. They'd been on the air five years when I took over, and uh -huh. I was with them for 15 more after that. <laughs> 15, 15 years on the show, five days a week, 12 months a year. We never took a vacation. We were on year-round. Never had reruns. Never had reruns. Everything was live the day it went on. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know any better. We just kept doing it. 
Well, that was uh, like stealing money, wasn't it? Oh, that it? was great. That, that was what you call a, a, uh, a pension. <laughs> <laughs> because actually, once you, you, know, uh, you got into a format on Of course, working with Bailey was a little bit different. You never knew exactly what he had in mind. Uh, I would stand to the side, and every once in a while I would hear him say, Baker, come here. And from there on, it was up for grabs, because I didn't know what he was going to do. I this is no... while you were on the air? Oh, this is while we were on the air. You never knew what was going to happen, because he'd get an idea. And then you just have to go along with it. It might turn out to be pretty disastrous to you, like losing your tie or something like this. But he would work on the spot, and you had to be ready for anything. And this is the thing that kept us alive. Yeah, well, I saw many shows where he tried to break you up, or he'd steal oh, yeah. your cards with the, with oh, the yeah. commercial copy oh, on yes, it. Oh, yes, anything like that. You know, it's, I don't know why it is, but the fellow that's making the money for everybody, actually, the announcer, is always the fellow that let's have fun with him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's ball him up so he can't do his job. And after all, I'm the fellow that has to face the, 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 the client the following morning. You know, what did you do that for? Well, you're also the one that has to face the audience first, too, aren't right. you? Right. We are known as the warm-up boys. Uh-huh. We're the ones who walk out and make everybody jolly before the star arrives. Well, you may not know it, but I have a recording of one of your uh, making jollies one time. Oh, really? Uh, in front of a Queen for a Day audience. Oh, me. And here it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome to Queen for today. How many of you are here today for the first time to see Queen? Oh, look at the hand, my word. <laughs> and how many of you watch and listen to Queen for a day? Ah, now that's what we love to see. I would be interested to know, is there anyone here who feels that they have uh, seen or heard Queen for a day, say, uh, oh, 500 times? There's a hand, there's a hand, there's a hand, 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 Look at the hands pop up. That's wonderful. That's very interesting, too, because this afternoon we're starting our 365th broadcast. No, seriously, and I know this will be of interest to you. The queen we elect today will be number 4,935. And thank you. And now I'd like to meet the gentleman you all came to see, the man who crowns the queens every day over the American Broadcasting Company, the former honorary mayor of Hollywood, Mr. Jack Bailey. Here he is. <laughs> Now, that brings back memories. Talk about your past coming back to haunt you. <laughs> that's the kind of a thing you don't hear every day. No, that's for sure. I got an awful lot of kidding, and I, I remember one time that you did a terrible thing to me, too. Almost, I almost died. You did it. You, <laughs> I remember. We, we you, were in Winter Haven, Florida. Right. We were in Winter Haven, Florida, Frank, <laughs> and what Frank did was to take that little bit where I count the hands, 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 and he made a loop out of it so that it never quit, <laughs> and it sounded like an old, tired Indian doing a rain dance. And I heard it, and as you know, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> you had another one, too. The, I, I had another one. I'll play that in a All minute. Right. I, I remember that, that morning, though. Oh, that morning I, was... I said to Gary Smith, have Gene Baker come in my yeah. room. I want to play something. And, and uh, after you've done uh, this kind of a warm-up for maybe 4,000 times, 
uh, you know it. You, you oh, you don't even. You're, you know, you're thinking of a million things. And, and it's splicing that together. I really did. I thought Gene Baker was going to have a heart attack. He turned bright red, <laughs> folded up, and almost fell to the floor. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things that ever happened because, as you say, once you've done it 4,000 times, you come out, you see the audience, and you start looking them over, and you're thinking about your gas bill and a few other things, and you automatically go through <laughs> the same warm-up each day and the same jokes, and you get the same reaction, and you wait for them. You know, and you don't really you don't really stop to listen anymore. Now, on Queen for a Day, Jeannie Cagney... Oh, bless uh, her heart. ...was the hostess. Yeah. And uh, uh, they would pick the queens from uh, from the, the stories they'd written on a card. Right. All Everybody that came to the show was given... had been sent a card on which they had written what they would like of their elected queen and for a day, and some of the pertinent on the back of it, some pertinent facts about whether they were married and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Those were all turned in. And the producer and myself and Gary Smith and a couple of others would go over each and every card and pick out the ones that, that we felt. That had the worst case of cancer. Right. <laughs> no, hold on, stop it. <laughs> uh, that we felt would be of interest to make a good show. And we would turn a certain number of those over to the producer, who in turn would pick out 21 that he wanted to do. And then they'd call these 21. And then they would give those 21 cards to Jeannie Cagney, and she in turn would call those ladies up on stage. All right, I have a short clip of the way she did that. Oh, this good. is also in Winter Haven, Florida. Good. Well, now, the first number is 2428. 970970. Well, it went something like yeah, that. Yeah, and she would call eventually 21 ladies up on, on the stage by their numbers. And then, uh, after they were on the stage, Jack would talk to them, oh, less than a minute and a half. Uh-huh. And usually this was to find out whether the lady had some speech impediment or whether she really could tell her story or not. Well, they and, always kept the ones with speech impediments. Oh, definitely, definitely. And then we would take, he would pick five that he wanted to interview on the air, uh-huh. four or five, and then the rest of them would be excused. Uh-huh. And then he would, then we'd have the show. And that was just as the curtain went up and we were on the air. So we worked on a very close, very close schedule. And that was live. Those contestants were never interviewed in advance. Never. I can tell you this, that any woman, and this happened to me several times, I would be stopped outside of a theater, and the lady would say, Mr. Baker, may I talk to you for a moment? And she would not, never let her get any further than, I'm coming to the show today, and then I'd ask her for her ticket number. And she would give it to me, and I would immediately go inside, look up the producer, and say, throw that ticket out. The lady <laughs> talked to me before the show. We were that honest. Well, Gene, I have another gag that I put together when we were in Winter, Winter Haven, Florida in 1964. You were bad in Winter Haven, Florida. <laughs> I really was. <laughs> anyway, I, I put this clip together of Jeannie Cagney, and before I play it, I want to thank you for joining me on the Golden oh, Days of Radio. Oh, anytime. You're anytime. here every, uh, every time we're oh, on the air I'm with the I'm very glad opening. I am, too. Gene, thank you very much. And here's Jeannie Cagney again. First number is 2428152. That wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio, and a special thank you to my in-person guest, Gene Baker. And here's a thought to remember. You can get reduced travel fares on commercial carriers from 33 and a third off regular airline fares on military advance reservations to 50% off on a standby basis. This is Frank Rizzi in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next time for the golden days of radio. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.